vastness of this, this crowd that was there probably. And, and the vastness of the, not only the crowd that gathered and went before Jesus and behind Jesus, but their triumphal songs and their shouts of praise to Jesus Christ as he entered Jerusalem the week that he was going to be there and, and die on the cross. And so I want us to read this, and I hope that as we look at these things today, we're going to, we're going to view it uh, like we were there, I hope. And so let's read it. And so start that as we read. Just picture in your mind this, this great, uh, picture this great scripture in, in uh, Matthew 21. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, they, then Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. Verse 6. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which they, he sat, Jesus sat. And most of the multitude spread their ga garments in the road. And others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before them and those who followed were crying out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred and they saying, who is this? And the multitudes were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's stop right there. Wow, what a picture. Could you picture some of that? As we go through the scripture today, I, I want to uh, point out um, several things that I want you to notice. And when I, when I say notice, I want you to notice them vividly. I want you to, in your mind, try to picture the scene, because it was quite a scene. Here, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the last time. You, you know in the past, sometimes when he would do a miracle, he would say, don't say a whole lot about it right now because my time hasn't come. You remember that in the scripture? And that's kind of odd to people. People say, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, well, now his time had come. His time had come, and he's coming into Jerusalem, and he's going to face all the people who wanted to kill him. He's going to face all the ones who had something against him, him claiming that he was God. Him claiming that he was a king. And he's going to come in Jerusalem in a parade of many, many people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us, Lord. Save us. Save us. It's a cry of salvation from the people. And so the first thing I want you to notice in this scripture that we see is notice the fulfilled prophecy that we see. You see... Sometimes we look at this and we just read by these things, but to the people who knew the word of God, there was no doubt in their mind that this one that was coming in on a cold of, of a donkey was the king, the king 
of Israel. It was no doubt to the ones that knew that he was fulfilling, saying he's fulfilling the prophecy of saying he is God in the flesh. He was the one coming and saying, I am the Lord God. I am the Messiah who's been prophesied all these years. You see, his time had come. It was time for them, everyone there, to decide what they thought Christ was and who they thought Christ was. And dear friend, today at the end tonight, uh, this morning, I want to challenge you to ask yourself that. Who is Christ Jesus in your life? But first I want you to know the prophecy fulfilled. We see that in these first five verses. And this took place, he says in verse 4. Matthew even writes it in his account. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. And this is the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a colt, a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is Zechariah 9, verses 9. It's a, it's, it's a quote from Zechariah 9, 9. And we're, when we see it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. Notice the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. You see, friends, these people knew. Their mind would go back, especially the scribes and Pharisees who knew the, 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 word, the, the, the scripture inside and out, knew that this was a picture of Jesus saying he is the Savior. He is the King. You see, notice the prophecy being fulfilled here. Not only do we see a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, but if you go back in the book of Isaiah 62, verse 11, it says this. Isaiah records, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. You see, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that day was fulfilling prophecies of Old Testament. When they were prophesying that one day a Savior would come. There's one that we don't have time to just barely touch today, but out of Daniel we see a prophecy also. Prophecy in Daniel 9, verses 24. It says this, Seventy weeks have been declared for your people and your holy city to, to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Wow, in that we see that there's one that's going to make an end to sin and to finish transgression, make an end to sin and to make atonement for iniquity. We don't have time, and I'm not a scholar on any of this necessarily, but uh, many people believe and that, that the very day, these, these 70 sabbaticals that he's talking about, 77 70 times 7 years, 490 years from the time um, Daniel uh, or Nebuchadnezzar prophesied this to the very day was when Jesus rode in on the donkey that day. That's something you can study on your own. But what an amazing prophecies that are being fulfilled in this one day, just seemed like a, a day leading up to Passover. You see, the city was already in in great celebration. 
because Jerusalem was coming upon Passover. And here comes Jesus in fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah, riding on a donkey. You see, this very day that Jesus rode in uh, riding on a donkey was the day that the, the high priest would select the lamb to be slaughtered, the Passover lamb. He would select the very lamb that was going to be used that year to be slaughtered. And on this day, it was the day when Jesus comes to town, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. A note of interest, uh, you know, Peter Gentry provides a perfect summary of this vision, uh, Daniel's vision. And I just wanted to read this because we don't have time to talk about it a whole lot this morning. But the vision of Daniel's 70 weeks, Gundry says, then, can be explained simply. It refers to a period of 70 sabbaticals or periods of seven years required to bring the ultimate jubilee, release from sin, and the establishment of the everlasting righteousness and consecration of the temple. You see, my last, the church I served before this one was called Jubilee Baptist Church. Jubilee in the Old Testament happened every seven years, and every 70 was a, a great time of Jubilee. And if you owed a debt, it was forgiven. <laughs> that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I guess you never had a loan very long in those days because a baby, but uh, you're not only, you're, it was forgiven. You, there was a year of Jubilee, a year of excitement. And on this day of Jubilee, Jesus comes into the, the Jerusalem riding on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy that the Messiah one day would ride in on a donkey. Second, not only notice the fulfilled prophecy, but notice the festive parade. Put on your, your imagination. Can you imagine what a parade it was? Here Jesus is, and if you've ever been to the Holy Land, he's coming down the hill there at the Mount of Olives, and it descends quite rapidly uh, through, through down to the, the brook and then up the other side to Jerusalem. And the temple that's there is easily seen all the way when you get west of the hill there. And here this day, there's a great procession with Jesus, a parade that has followed him. We read about it in uh, Matthew 21, 6 through 9, and we'll reread it. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats, and most of the crowd went before spreading their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What a festive parade. J.W. Shepherd describes this jubilant procession better than I can. And it, I just love his verbiage in this, so I want to read it. The greater part of the multitude, as they went forward, spread their garments in the way. Some had cut branches from the field, and they, they came from Jerusalem to meet him. And others were cutting branches now from the trees by the road to help pave his royal way. 
the enthusiasm mounted higher and higher as they went forward until when they were drawing nigh into the city, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and burst into an antiphonal chorus of praises for all the mighty works which they had seen. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David and he that cometh now in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he that cometh, the king of Israel, in the name of Jehovah. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of that's taken from Luke's account right there. Such were the rhythmic acclamations of praise, which reverberated from the hill to hill, stirring the multitudes of pilgrims far and wide. They felt that at last their Messiah had come. Can you picture that? Oh, dear friend, this is a Messiah that they have waited for, for for centuries to come. This is the Messiah that had been prophesied centuries before, and here they are in Jerusalem under Roman control, shouting these praises of deliverance that day. Yeah, notice not only the prophecy fulfilled, but notice the festive parade. The fulfilled prophecy in the festive parade here. It was quite, quite a sight. Quite a sight. But also, thirdly, notice the furious Pharisees and priests. Not everyone in the crowd that day was happy. <laughs> Not everybody in the crowd that day was excited that Jesus was coming to town. You see, there was these Pharisees and these priests that really wanted to arrest Jesus before Passover. They wanted to to arrest Jesus before Passover. But here now, he's coming in with all this excitement, and what are they going to do when the crowds are stirred up like this? We see this in Luke's account, 19, verses 39 through 40, what I want to read next. Luke 19, 39 and 40 says this about these Curious Pharisees and priests. First, he says about the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees in a crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the very stones will cry out. You see, the Pharisees, when they heard everyone saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, that, they were upset because not only is Jesus confirming by what's happening that he is the Messiah, here is a group, a vast group of people saying that about Jesus too. I, I got to tell you, they go to Jesus. It made them so upset. They go right to Jesus and said, rebuke these people for singing your praise. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they don't sing my praise, the very rocks will cry out. Wow. Wow. The Pharisees who had, who had been out with a multitude to spy on his every word and gesture were in despair at this point. They tried to silence the acclamations, but were unable to prevail. They blamed probably one another for the failure. We should have already arrested him. They were probably mad at each other, mad at everybody. And they had planned, like we said, to arrest him before this great feast. (laughs) So, 
in their despair, and even with hypocrisy in their voice, they say, Master, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus could see right through them, couldn't he? And he says, if I, if they don't pray, the very rocks will cry out. They're going down this hill, going up, up and down these, these hills. There's a lot of rocks. But dear friend, aren't you glad that rocks aren't made to praise Jesus? They do because they're God's creation. But with our voices, with our lives, we're to praise Jesus for all he's done. He is the Messiah. He is Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, notice this, the, the furiousness of the Pharisees. And then we see the scribes recorded here in Matthew 21, 14 through 17. We didn't read this earlier. I think we skipped it. But it said, and the, and the, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. We see Jesus now has made it to the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. Well, I, that word indignant, it might, it might have been a while since I've been indignant. <laughs> Think about it. I've been a little angry, maybe in the last little bit. But that's a strong word. And these people were indignant. These scribes and Pharisees, these ones, the, the judges, the ones who knew the law, the ones who knew the word, here are indignant because he's in the temple healing. And I, I like the way it says that. And when they, when they saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children shouting, they became indignant. Well, can you see that? You know, as we sung our praises today, we were singing... I sing praises to the Lord, and I look right over here, and we see a, a child singing. And it just blessed my heart today. You see, <laughs> this scripture in Roman, uh, Psalm 8, 1 and 2, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. I also looked right here and I looked in the back with Jessica sitting there praising God, holding the baby. And it blessed, these things blessed my heart today as we sang, Hosanna, I sing praises to your name, Lord. You see, this was a fulfillment too of uh, referring to Psalm 8. And in quoting these passages, Jesus told his accusers who he was and who they were. Yes, since the babes and nurses infants praised God in Psalm 8, Jesus identified himself once again as God here as they praised him. And this also identified the indignant scribes and teachers as the enemy and avenger described in the psalm. You see... Notice the furious 
Pharisees and the priests. But also notice the fatal prediction that Jesus brings. We see this in Luke's account too. If you want to turn there, Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Remember the scene, this great parade going down the hill. And as they crest the hill, they come over and here's Jerusalem up on the other hill. Here's the great temple that they were so proud of on the other hill. In plain view, every step of the way now. And Jesus, this, this thing right here, Luke 19, 41 through 44, happens right in the middle of this procession. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things that which make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will, will throw up barricades against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground, Jerusalem, and your children with you, and they will not leave in, in you one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You see, now as Jesus comes over the hill, the city's in full view, and as they started their descent toward the eastern gate, Jesus paused and gazed intently at the magnificent view laid out before him. J.W. Shepherd says this, Overcome with the emotion, he broke into a loud well and sobbing lamentation over the city. In contrast to this fair Jerusalem before him, there, there arose the prophetic vision of the city of desolation, out just a few decades ahead when Titus was going to take over the city with his Roman legions. In this prophetic forecast of desolation, his very language fell into a rhythmic, natural rhythm. If you had known this in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up barricades against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Dear friend, we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but here Jesus is riding on a donkey. It's not the first time a king rode in on a donkey. David did the same thing, if you remember. But it was usually in times of peace. You rode in on a donkey in times of peace. You rode in on a white horse in times of war. But here Jesus is riding in on this donkey, and when he comes to Jerusalem, it must have flooded his soul. What was the future of the great city? We're probably in the 30s in this time, probably 32 or so. A.D. and in A.D. or 70, Titus comes in and levels the city, destroys it, decimates everything. Just just 30 years later, and Jesus was overwhelmed with this because they were looking for someone more of a king to come in and politically save them. But Hosanna. Then Jesus is there to save them from their sins, their real need to 
Psalm 118, verses 22 through 26. I just was reminded of this scripture. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you, O Lord. We beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Oh, what a wonderful psalm, isn't it? You see, our Lord is here to save, yes. And on this day, he's here to save. But it's not the salvation of their day. Their salvation doesn't look forward 30 years plus years and have the temple destroyed. The cries of the crowd is going to change dramatically from Hosanna, save us, Lord, save us, glory to God in the highest. So just four days later, crucify him, crucify him. You see, Jesus was there to do the God's work, amen? But it was to send salvation by dying upon the cross at Calvary. And here Jesus is in this great procession, procession coming to Jerusalem to take on everything that was going to be given to him that week. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be spat upon. He was going to be accused. But, and dear friend, he was going to die upon the cross for your sin and my sin. And here he is, Jesus. In closing today, I want to add, tell you four things. You know, when we look, we've noticed these things. We, I hope you went there to, the, to that great procession. I hope in your mind you've seen these great sights of what was happening. But now, let's focus on the person of Jesus. Look again at the sobering question we see them ask in Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11. Look at that real quick. Matthew 21, 10 and 11. When they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, saying what? Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Hmm. Jesus is much more than that, isn't he? I wanted to share four truths of who Jesus is in closing today. The first thing we see here is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I don't think it's lost in the uh, symbolism of him riding in on a donkey that day, knowing what was ahead of him. Here Jesus is humbly submitted to God's will of salvation for mankind. Here Jesus is the very Prince of Peace that was prophesied in Isaiah 9, verses 6. It says, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We see the heavenly hosts in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, the heavenly hosts praising Jesus when they said, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
The angels proclaimed that this baby was going to bring peace and goodwill toward men. In just passing, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Christ Jesus. Dear friend, you need to have peace with God. <laughs> the Bible says we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ came so we could be reconciled, we could be redeemed from our sin, we could be made right with the holy God through the payment that Jesus brought us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So who is this? The prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. No, dear friend, this one who rode into town on the donkey is the Prince of Peace. He's riding on, on the donkey, the, the animal of great burden, bringing peace to mankind. The second thing I want you to see is not only is Jesus the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Oh, I'm reminded back to Abraham's statement in Genesis 22.8 when he's about to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and God stops him. And, but they're about to go up on the hill, and you, you can imagine his son looks around and, and says, Dad, I see we have, we have the, the wood. We have everything for a sacrifice, but where is the lamb? <laughs> and Abraham says this, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You know, we talked about the lamb a little bit earlier. But animals were sacrificed for sin. Pointing to the one day that one would be sacrificed, the very lamb from God, that would forever and ever be the payment for sin's penalty. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away. Do you remember the testimony of John the Baptist? We see it in John 1, verses 29. The next day when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hmm. Who is Jesus? Well, the prophet from Galilee. Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were, you were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We talk about this sometime at Easter, but it's no coincidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was, for, it was long uh, prophesied that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. What a lot of people don't realize is Bethlehem was known for one great thing, is that that's where they raised the lambs that were slaughtered. And here on this very day when Jesus is born, it didn't, the, the shepherds weren't struck when they said, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
They didn't guess to say, okay, let's guess where we have to go. No, they knew exactly where to go to find this Lamb of God in a manger. We don't talk about that a whole lot, but it's, you know, it didn't catch anybody by surprise. They knew exactly all these things that were being told, what it meant in the life of Jesus. Hmm. And on that very day, the Lamb of God, the Lamb for the Passover Lamb, was selected that was going to be killed the next Friday for Passover. And, and it's interesting, too, when you look at the cross of Calvary this week, when you get to Good Friday, and we think about today Jesus died upon the cross. Uh, today we're celebrating the fact that we're saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross. We see at nine, about at 9 in the morning, that Jesus was placed upon the cross. And then uh, about 12, I think, or around 12 noon, it became dark. And then around 3 p.m. is when Jesus said it is finished and died. Well, dear friend, the lamb, if you study uh, the priest, when they, when they came into the, the temple to sacrifice the lamb, the high priest would tie the lamb to the altar at 9 o'clock. And at 3 o'clock is when the lamb would be slaughtered. And so Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Hmm. We see it not only there, but <laughs> we can go back to Exodus and we can see how they said to tie the lamb in, to, for Passover to come and here it is, the week of Passover, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, is riding into the city. And then we even see in heavenly worship about the Lamb. Then I looked, Revelation 5, verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and many living creatures and elders, and the number of them with myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Who is this Jesus? Well, dear, dear friend, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Third thing I want you to see is Jesus is the one and only Savior. Luke 1 says, 67 through 69, we see Zacharias' prophecy. It says, And the father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited us and redeemed his people and hath raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I love Zacharias. I like preaching that around Christmas time, a little after. And Zacharias was able to die in peace because he said, I've seen the salvation. Now I can die in peace. You see, Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. In Luke 2, we see the angels proclaim, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This Jesus, who is he? He is the one and only Savior. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven 
given to men which whereby we can be saved, but the very name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Dear friend, lastly, I want you to see not only all these things, but lastly, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our clock hadn't been working, so I'm about to, I'm right on time, I think. <laughs> Matthew 27, verses 35 through 44. And when they had crucified him, we've, we've skipped forward now to the crucifixion. Oh, dear friend, just five days later from, from them hailing him the king. Save us, save us, Lord. We go to the cross here. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up a charge against him, which read, This is the king, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Who is this? Wow, there's a sign over him. Their charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And at that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chiefs, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he also, along with this, uh, he who saved others, he cannot even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even down, And even the ones on each side of him, the robbers who had been crucified with him, were also insulting him with the same words. Who is this Jesus? Revelation 17, verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords, and He is King of kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a white robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine, white, and clean linen, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepresses of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robes, and on his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
So, dear friend, who's Jesus? The crowd asked. An important question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Prince of Peace? Amen. Is he your Savior? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin from your life and the life of the world? Is he King of kings and Lord of lords in your life today? Because that's who he is. That's who he's going to be forever. One day the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who is Jesus? I hope as we looked at this today that maybe this week we can look once again, read some of these scriptures. There's a lot. Read the count of the triumphal entry. Read the chapters leading up to the cross. And just afresh and anew, understand who Jesus is and what he has done to bring salvation to you and me. Dear friend, the, the, the crowds, Hosanna, save us, Lord. That's what Hosanna means. Save us. Save us. Save us, Lord. Crucify him taunting him on the cross. But dear friend, next Sunday we celebrate him rising from the dead and having victory over death and over hell. And we can have that same victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day and we thank you for this time to open your scripture. We thank you for this time to just look into your word fresh and anew, and I pray that even today